Founded in 1682 by William Penn, Europeans first settled in Pennsylvania in 1637, although several tribes of indigenous people occupied the land for centuries before this. Pivotal in the French and Indian Wars, the Seven Years' War, the American Revolution, and the United States Civil War, it is no surprise that with such a rich history, our state has developed a culture that is distinctive and multifaceted. Full of legends and real-life heroes who risked everything for their beliefs, today Pennsylvania retains strong elements of folk culture developed by a combination of ideologies practiced by the varied ethnicities of original settlers, Native Americans, and shared experiences. Legends and lore passed down over centuries reveal philosophies that are as superstitious as they are religious and even scientific, resulting in a microculture found nowhere else. You are listening to Pennsylvania Life, Legends, and Lore, where we believe that behind every great story, there is a nugget of truth. In each episode, your hosts, Ethan and Holly, will attempt to uncover that truth and preserve a part of our incredible Pennsylvanian lifestyle. Hey everybody, welcome back to Pennsylvania Life, Legends, and Lore. As always, I'm Holly. And I'm Ethan. And today we are going to be talking about a Pennsylvania staple dessert, which is the shoe fly pie. And to dive right in, we're going to explain to you guys what a shoe fly pie is and what is in it. So the shoe fly pie is a type of sweet molasses crumb pie, which is associated with Pennsylvania Dutch cuisine. With its rich flavor, gooey syrup, brown sugar, and crumb topping, this delicious treat has been a longtime staple in central Pennsylvania and a must try for all pie enthusiasts. So the star of the show in a shoe fly pie is the molasses, but it's also typically composed of flour, brown sugar, water, spices, and sometimes egg. The pie is topped with a crumb mixture and served in a flaky pie crust. Shoefly pie is like a coffee cake, but with a gooey molasses bottom. And like we'll get into, there are different types of shoefly pie and also shoefly cake, mm -hmm. of which you like none. That is correct. I do not like shoefly pie. Or shoefly cake. Or shoefly cake or pie. Crazy. Normal. We'll get into our debate here in a little then. So a little bit of history for you on the shoe fly pie and why we are talking about it um, in the month of July. So usually consisting of a basic pie crust with a cake-like molasses flavored filling and crumbled flour, sugar, and butter topping, this humble pie has a convoluted history. Though closely associated with the Pennsylvania Dutch community, Shoe fly pie's popularity has extended well beyond the farm since its first official appearance in the late 1800s. While shoe fly pie has been a staple of Moravian, Mennonite, and Amish, Amish cuisine, there isn't a lot of concrete information about its origins, and most of the legends concerning the pie are myths, which includes the persistent belief that the name comes from flies being attracted to the sweet filling. The first sizable group of Amish immigrants arrived in America around 1730 from Germany and Switzerland and settled near Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Pies of all types were integral to the culture of these settlers and 
pies of all types were integral to the culture of these settlers and they ate them at any time of the day. The most famous of these pies was the shoe fly pie, which originated as a variation of the treacle tart. Treacle is, a, is the British generic name for any syrup made during the refining of sugar cane. During the 17th century, treacle was used chiefly as a cheap form of sweetener. By the late 1700s, refined sugar became affordable to the masses in Britain and overtook treacle as a general sweetener. However, molasses was often substituted for treacle in colonial American recipes. Many earlier cookbooks have molasses pie and cake recipes. As the very earliest settlers came to North America by boat, they brought with them the staple of their diet, long-lasting, non-perishables that would survive long boat trips. Flour, brown sugar, molasses, lard, salt, and spices. Arriving in the new land during the late fall, the settlers had to live mostly on what they had brought with them until the next growing season. Women in these communities were masters of art of making do, and concocted a pie from the limited selection that, that could be found. The resourcefulness led to the creation of the shoe pie pie. Since this original version called for pantry essentials like butter, flour, sugar, cinnamon, nutmeg, coffee, and molasses, shoe fly pie was inherently inexpensive to make, which made it popular among home bakers. Due to the absence of eggs in the time frame which settlers arrived in the central PA region, historians conclude shoe fly pie was originally a winter dish. Hens generally lay fewer eggs in the colder weather and molasses could be stored in the cold weather without fear of it fermenting. A pie without eggs produces a long shelf life. Instead of eggs, baking powder was used to levy the pie. The use of baking powder places its invention firmly after the Civil War in, in the 1870s when the Pennsylvania Dutch began using baking powder. The addition of eggs was made in the 1920s. According to historian William Weaver, director of the Keystone Center for Study of Regional Foods and Food Tourism, Shoe fly pie was first introduced as a coffee cake in 1876 at the U.S. Centennial in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. There actually exists a saying, shoe fly pie on the 4th of July. Weaver affirms that between 1876 and the early 1880s, the shoe fly cake migrated to a pie shell because it was easier to eat as a handheld slice of pie without a plate or fork so it appealed to farmhouse cooks. As the popularity of the pie grew to its taste and simplicity, shoe fly pie gradually became a regularly stocked dish in Pennsylvania households. Customarily, it was served up only for breakfast or in the evenings with supper or as a field break snack with coffee. Though it is now often eaten as a dessert, this hearty treat in some areas of Pennsylvania is still a breakfast staple dipped in a mug of coffee and usually eaten by hand. So as we touch base, that's why we are doing this podcast on Shoe Fly Pie in July, which I had never heard of, Shoe Fly Pie on the 4th of July. I have not either. So that was a fun little fact that neither one of us knew, but I didn't have Shoe Fly Pie on the 4th of July. No, neither did I. Because it's <laughs> I just think it's, this Meg interjecting, it's interesting that it started as a cake and then went to a pie so that from what I read in the research I did. So basically like 
farm hands could just come up to the grab a piece. kitchen, grab a piece, and go. Mm-hmm. And also, it was eaten at any time of day. Mm-hmm. It didn't. It's like we think of pies as desserts. Well, mm-hmm. this was just like you could have it in the morning. You could have it at right dinner. You could well, have it. It is sweet though. Like which I guess like you eat like coffee cakes for breakfast, but I don't know. It just seems weird to eat a pie in the morning. Yeah, no, I agree. It's odd. You want nothing to do with shoe pie pie. <laughs> so no, it's odd. So we did a little tasting, which I will post some of the video from that little tasting that we did of mm-hmm. making it. And I, so I had never made it. Being somebody who grew up in the Finger Lakes, I never heard of shoe pie pie until I moved here and actually our little tasting because i made one myself is the first time that i've ever tasted it because i couldn't get past the name Uh or the variations which is what we'll talk probably be talking about next but i couldn't get past the description like i just it was like no i can't i can't eat that like and it honestly it does not look it doesn't look appealing appealing. no so but i made one and i found an original Amish recipe handed down for like, it was this woman's like great grandmother's recipe. So that came with her. And mine, according to my husband, was not as sweet as he is used to and had more of a little bit of a bitter bite to it. It definitely had more of like the, the almost like bitterness of coffee mm-hmm. in it. I also can absolutely say I do not like it. <laughs> but if I if I had if I had to choose one of them, it would be cake. I, yeah. I didn't mind it in the cake as much because it wasn't as as um in your face. Yeah. Like the the flavor wasn't as in your face. It was kind of dispersed. And I feel like a cake gets like you still have like some of the gooeyness of it, but I feel like the pies, especially as we'll get into the two different kinds of pies, like you really get like a wet, gooey oh, it's, it's texture in it's the pie. Where that kind of it's hit or miss whether you get some of that in the in the cake. It's more of the cake like consistency that you're used to. Mm-hmm. But I did not partake. Yeah, you really just wanted no part. So I stand alone. I like it. I think it's good. I like the pie or the cake. So as we just discussed, there are some variations, two variations to the pie. Those two variations are a dry bottom and a wet bottom. Which again, does not sound great. Nope. Does not put any points towards the already weird name of the shoe fly pie. So when I heard that, like, the first time I was introduced to shoe fly pie, I think it was at Mem's house mm-hmm. for some family event or holiday. Josh and I were dating and it was like, oh, you got to try this wet bottom shoe fly pie. And it's like, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> because all I think of when I hear wet bottom is like a wet diaper. Yeah. Like something soggy and nasty. And then of course it kind of looks like poop in there. It does. But, and then like the visual of fly like why anyone puts fly in the name of a food yeah no no so i was just like thinking like these this pie that had 
dead flies bake into it and it's like mushy and wet with like fly guts. <laughs> yeah, it really That's has nothing going for it mm-hmm. until you, well, and you guys tried it and didn't like it, but until you try it, like just hearing about it, like really doesn't have anything like in the positive. Mm-mm. So there's two options. A flaky or a mealy crust for the pie dough. This determines whether the bottom of the pie is thick or barely there. Recipes differentiating between the wet and dry versions appeared in the early 20th century. The dry version was suitable for dunking in a cup of coffee. Some cooks put chocolate icing on on top for a chocolate shoe fly pie. Some use spices, some do not. I'd never heard of putting chocolate icing on top of it. I've always just seen the top of it as like the crumbly cakiness on top. Yeah. And I don't think we tried any with chocolate. No, I, 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 I was tempted to try it, but I wanted to keep mine like authentic to that yeah. recipe. But I, I did read a couple instances like where people add, like, a weird, yeah, right? flavor. Yeah, just I read a couple instances where people like use Nutella. That makes like, a little spread. more sense. But I'm just like that just so must be overly yeah sweet like like it it's sweet enough on its own and it has enough filling for it like I feel like adding chocolate just oof even if it was dunked in so chocolate do, I'd like it <laughs> so do they put the chocolate icing on instead of using all the spices to like not make it so. What I read is no, like they just they make you, it the way it is and then and add, add chocolate. chocolate or dunk it in chocolate. We'll have to have you try a piece in some chocolate and see if it makes it any Smothered better. Well, slathered, not you know, just at least we can whatever they had in because you know it was the Puritans essentially that came over. I mean, Amish mm-hmm. cultures stem right. from that, but whatever they missed out in you know keeping their lives simple they made up for in sweets right that's for sure so what's a dry bottom shoe fly pie the dry bottom version resembles a soft gingerbread or dry cake-like texture baked until fully set the dry bottom is considered the original version producing a consistency that is meant for dipping in coffee so that's the kind that they make to go out in the fields you get like a, a dry piece of pie. <laughs> I feel like most people, if you ask them which kind they prefer, nobody says dry bottom. Probably not. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody mention it. That is their favorite. I'm just cracking up over here listening to the conversation about how how nobody likes dry bottoms. Everybody likes wet. <laughs> See? I'm this just thinking about. is weird. Uh. So, wet bottom features a tender molasses custard topped with crumbs, and the bottom is a stickier, gooier, custard-like consistency. More prevalent in the Pennsylvania Dutch region, this version came about in the 1920s by accident. A pie didn't get cooked enough, and some people discovered, discovered that they liked it that way. Though both versions are traditionally favored with molasses, the wet version has a stronger taste of the dark syrup. So wet bottom pie is a similar texture to a pecan pie, just without the pecans. But that bitter, almost harsh flavor of the molasses can really turn some people off. 
is a dry bottom version the molasses ribbon through layers of cake so it's easier on the palate. In some bakeries that cater to tourists, this key ingredient of shoe fly pie is often toned down or replaced altogether with a milder, sweeter corn syrup. However, just as many Pennsylvania Dutch bakeries would shudder at the thought of replacing that flavorful syrup. Which one you'll, you'll get will depend on where you go. Dry bottom, wet bottom, bitter, sweet, like any recipe that's been around for over a century, there are as many variations of shoe fly pie as there are bakers in central Pennsylvania, giving this delicious oddity the mark of a true classic. Everyone agrees the shoe fly pie is best when slightly warmed with whipped cream on top. If you like sweet desserts, you'll probably love shoe fly pie. Although, you're not a big sweets person, so that doesn't count to you. Are you usually a sweets person? I am probably more sweet than salty, but I'm, I'm not like heavily one way or the other. Yeah. I just, it's something about, there's a little bit of an aftertaste for me. And the molasses, okay. the little bitter bite at the end. It just, it just doesn't do it. I tried Carol, so I Carol's because mm -hmm. she made her wet bottom, mm -hmm. and it's delicious, by the way. Yeah, and Josh is like he told me he's like you know if you haven't like yours does not like you follow the traditional recipe, but yours does not taste as like nearly as sweet as my mom's mm -hmm. usually tastes. So you gotta taste my mom's. So I took a tiny little bit because, you know, the gluten sensitivity yeah. and everything. So I took a tiny little bit, but I still just, it's, the consistency <laughs> of it, it's just like. You still just can't get past the name. You put it in your mouth and you're uh, like, this is wet bottom shoe fly pie. It just doesn't do it. The flavor was better for sure, but like if, if there were other desserts there, I would probably you would pass it up. Yeah. We should have had ice cream and stuff with it. I know, I that should have thought about that. A lot of people said they wanted milk. They were like, milk would be really good with this. The cake, I could totally yeah. see that. Uh -huh. So what does a shoe fly pie taste like? The batter's combination of molasses and spices creates an almost chocolate-like taste. The final product yields an intense sweetness and cake-like texture. While you can refrigerate your shoe fly pie, it doesn't need to be refrigerated. Shoe fly pie will keep covered on the countertop for a few days at room temperature. One alternative is to freeze your shoe fly pie if you don't plan to eat it right away. To defrost, place it, the pie in a tin foil and thaw it at room temperature. Now this is if you're making it without eggs. If you go with a recipe with eggs in it, I would advise refrigerating. So how did shoe fly pie get its name? The unusual name is presumed to be a reference to the fact that the sticky sweet pie is so attractive to flies that they have to be constantly shooed away from it. Again, that's deterring people from trying it. Mm -hmm. However, this is a myth that originated with author Patricia Bruning Stevens. According to Stevens, the unusual name of shoe fly pie came from the fact that pools of sweet sticky molasses sometimes formed on the surface of the pie while it was cooling, inevitably attracting flies. She suggests the pie's invention stems from Pennsylvania Dutch farm wives making do with what remained in the pantry during the late winter. However, she fails to answer the question of where all the flies came from during the winter season. Historian William Weaver, who is also a 13th generation Pennsylvania Dutchman, states the name shoe fly was derived from shoe fly the boxing mule. 
Shoe Fly was a popular traveling circus animal in southeastern Pennsylvania at that time, and his name originated from a popular song at the time, Shoe Fly, Don't Bother Me. The animal was trained to stand on his hind legs and wore boxing gloves on his front hooves. His frequent opponent was a horse. Shoe Fly was so beloved that they named products in his honor, including Shoe Fly Flour, Shoe Fly Horse Powder, and the very popular brand of molasses from Philadelphia, Shoe Fly Molasses. Now I can't think, I can't read about this, and I'm going back to our love of TV shows. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, no. No? I mean, I know you're talking about The Office, but I don't know if you're No, I'm not talking about The Office. Nope. I got nothing. Really? Nope. Little Sebastian? Oh, yeah. <laughs> For any of you Parks and Rec fans, reading about this beloved donkey, or what was it? Was it a, a donkey? Mule. mule. Same thing. Who gets all of this stuff named after him. Just reminds me of Little Sebastian from Parks and Rec if you happen to watch. But that was a tangent that I need to come back from. Don't know really how you got there, but okay. It's a beloved mule. It's a beloved mini horse. Okay, I see what you're doing. Oh, I see mule, mini horse, different. 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 But this, but kind of the same. If they're if it's so beloved that they name so much stuff after it. I see what you're saying. Yes. That's right. where I'm. Now at. I got where you were going. You really didn't follow my trail there. No. <laughs> Another theory is that because it originated as a Pennsylvania Dutch specialty, it is possible that shoe fly is an alteration of an unidentified German word. Shoe fly pie was called molasses crumb cake, and it was called very different things in Pennsylvania Dutch language, which we cannot pronounce, and I'm not going to try. But before its modern name became popular in the 20th century, it was molasses crumb pie or soda rivel cake and the rivels are the lumps of uh, food like on top of the cake so according to the encyclopedia of american food and drink the name shoe fly pie was used in the 1880s but it first appeared its first appearance was not recorded in the print until 1926. the pie is also mentioned in the song Shoe Fly Pie, an apple pan downy popularized by Dinah Shore in the 1940s. So where can Shoe Fly Pie be found in this area? Throughout most of American restaurants and bakeries, you'll rarely find Shoe Fly Pie, but most central Pennsylvania bakeries and restaurants sell this regional favorite. In Amish, Amish country, this pie draws standing room only crowds. Bird in Hand is famous for Grandma Schmucker's Shoe Fly Pie. The bakery prepares the shoe fly pie from an old family recipe handed down for generations and fine-tuned by Grandma Schmucker. It is one of the Bird and Hand Bakery and Cafe's most popular items and can be enjoyed with a hot cup of coffee or tea. You can also order Grandma Schmucker's classic treat online to stash in your freezer or share it with a friend. I did not know that. I did not know that either. I also don't, I feel like we're such an odd area. Because I feel like there are so many foods and different things that we're just so accustomed to having on like a regular basis that once you go like outside of central Pennsylvania, it's just like people don't know what you're talking about. Correct. That's bizarre. 
Do the eggs is a thing around here. Yeah. But well, if you turkey eggs were uh, like a th- they're a thing other places. They don't come with the eggs. Right. We right. Definitely, it's the name. We of... have definitely been to places that I've said, like I'll take the eggs and they look at me like yeah i'm an idiot if you go they're, into like a restaurant and say, yeah right right <laughs> like the, the the normal term is sunny side up right but it's like but everybody around here uses well, i should say not everybody but most people if i said hey i want dippy eggs they know exactly what right you're talking about right so another one that gets me this chicken and waffles thing yeah that one doesn't I don't understand. I can pass on chicken and waffles. Why would you? Waffles is a breakfast food. Uh-huh. It's a breakfast food. It is served with fruit, sometimes with cream, not my preferred way, and sometimes powdered sugar, also not my preferred way, or straight up butter and syrup, uh-huh. which is how I like right. my waffles. Putting poultry and gravy meat yeah. on the waffles and uh-huh. then smothering it in gravy that tastes like lard. Mm-hmm. Or flour, yep, with nothing else, and then pouring salt all over it. <laughs> like I, 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 yeah. I don't understand. It makes no sense. Like all throughout, like my childhood, like my church does chicken and waffle suppers, and I'd be one of the weirdos who I'd like I'd eat my waffle uh-huh. with syrup, and then I'd eat the other food, like because that's a breakfast food, yeah. like you said, like you eat that with your syrup, and then I'd eat. Like the chicken and mashed potatoes and whatever other sides. Like, they don't go together, but everyone else in my family loves it. So, um, every Sunday, a lot of times we go uh, out for lunch on Mm -hmm. Sunday after church. And we'll go to the brewery Mm -hmm. here. And they make a buffalo chicken and waffle. Ew, no they don't. Yes, they do. And guess who gets it? Like, he's, oh... (laughs) Josh is always between that and like they'll have so like he likes other, it yes they have like other specials and things but like so if they have a special or whatever he'll be like oh hemming and hawing but man they introduced those buffalo style chicken and waffles and I'm just like I just I can't like so is the buffalo sauce just on, on, the, chicken? on the chicken yeah so they smother the chicken and, and like Buffalo sauce, then put oh. it over the waffles, and then pour the gravy. Over. There's gravy on it too. Yeah. Ew. I know. I'm sorry to this brewery because that just sounds bad. But clearly, Josh there is, are people that like. I mean, it. it's popular, and like Josh's oh. is fantastic. But I've just never been like. I just I can't. The chicken and waffles to begin with is an appetizing, let alone I adding can't, buffalo like, sauce. And I'm sorry, the gravy that they put on it is so thick most of the time it looks like puke to me. I, I personally think I mean I all of the chicken and waffles I've seen around here it's like such mm-hmm. thick like flowery gravy yeah. that I'm like that just looks like something puked on your plate <laughs> so Meg came to this area and she's like what in the world do you people eat you eat chicken and waffles with shoe fly- wet bottom shoe fly diapers honestly and I mean, no offense in saying this, but that everyone doesn't just heal over from heart attacks here because <laughs> <laughs> everything is salty and, right. and floury and yeah, heavy, mm-hmm. like 
heavy, like full of sugars and like things like that. And, right, like, which makes sense going from this podcast. Like they make things with what they have, right? And, and to it, last, it and totally makes sense. And at also big farming area. Mm-hmm. So at one point, that was all done by hand. You burnt that stuff off, right? Like, right. But and yeah. I feel like we're an area where like generations pass down like all of this food stuff. Like yeah. you learn how to make your grandmother's recipes. Yeah. Like that's you pass those down from generation to generation so they continue, whereas other places may or may not have things like this, but they just kind of fizzle out. But by golly, we stick to our unhealthy ways. <laughs> well, it was just funny that was probably one of the biggest learning <laughs> curves in our marriage because I came from well well both of my parents were in the medical field and mm-hmm. so everything was no salt low sodium <laughs> no sodium low fat leafy greens like mm-hmm. we I mean you know and so I we got married and I'm like Josh should be like what are we having for dinner tonight? Oh, I thought I'd make a big salad and maybe grill some chicken to put on top of it. Okay. So what else are we having for dinner? What's after that? (laughs) Well, it's going to be a big salad. And then I came to the realization that dinner needed to be a meat. Mm -hmm. It's okay if there's like a green side. (laughs) And like, then there has to be like a starch. Yeah. Tables, yeah, or and I feel like this is an area too. Like, if your table's too big, you better have a salt and pepper shaker on both sides, (laughs) (laughs) or like, because God forbid everybody needs to have access to the salt, salt and pepper, yeah, Mm -hmm. cracks me up. Yeah, we are a very weird area of unique. Yeah, not we not weird, unique. I think it's weird. It's weird a little, but but it's just unique. It's nice it's just weird to me that things that I grew up knowing and like eating and things like that. Like when you go outside of this area, it's just nobody has a clue. Aren't like pierogies and kielbasa? That's like that's like Polish. That's Polish. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean the the. They're all those countries are very close, and at one point, all part of the same region until like I think after it was like World, after World War Two that all those places got really broken up into how they are today. Yeah. I could be wrong on that, so Santa if I'm wrong, I apologize. But are they a thing? Santa Cadiz. I never heard of them until I moved here. I feel like that's a weird Pennsylvania Dutch thing. You have to eat that's that. one that you'll sample. Mm-hmm. That was one that I didn't like growing Although up, and I then never, all of a sudden I just decided that I love them. Until we like started going to MEMS and stuff, I'd never heard of sand tarts. Yeah, someone needs to take a few lessons from them before. Whoa, so we can meaning yourself, ma- right? Mass making art. Right? Yeah. Happily, I was like, you it. better not be looking at me. No, I've tried to make them before, but you're falling hard. They're, they're <laughs> tough. We can never get them as thin as. She gets them, so we need to take a lesson. I have it's the recipe. It's literally like paper thin. We used her recipe, but we never got enrolled thin enough without them like turning into a blank charred. 
I have I have her recipe, and I there was one year I did them pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Josh said, "Mom can still pretty get it just darn good, just a Not little good. thinner, just a little thinner." But then I Our standards are too high with yeah. mem mem expectations. She is a phenomenal cook. But then I had I was diagnosed with a gluten sensitivity. Yeah. And you want to try making sand tarts with gluten-free flour? It's it's a lesson in going insane. Yeah, I would imagine just make trying to make them normally mm-hmm. is hard enough. Let alone trying to make them gluten-free. We'll have to look into that one. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that one's just a. I feel like I heard that these have been dosed in. Could be wrong. Possible. It follows. Is it? Does it follow like almost an exact recipe? Is it? Sugar cookie? It's very just, similar. I don't remember what's all in it. It's just mostly like the thickness of it that makes it a sand tart. We're getting way off. Yeah. Derailed. Sand tart versus sugar cookie. Have to well, look into that one. We can look we can definitely look into that one for Christmas. But our next episodes Oh, we don't even know what that is. Well, you are going to be Uh-oh. having baby Ella. Well, that's true, too. So that'll, I, be, that'll be my next episode. <laughs> so our next next episodes are going to be all Asian. Uh, that's true. We're going to get to know some of the agents that work in our office. Our staff stories. Our staff stories. Yeah. Meaning exciting. our employee stories, not yeah. staff Infection stories. I should have thought about that. That's just That's what I think of when I say staff story. What is happening inside <laughs> of your brain? I can blame it on the pregnancy. You heard a staff infection, not like staff, like a shepherd's staff or hook. You went there because our child walks outside with. <laughs> okay, so you know the flower hooks that like yeah. So Riley walks around carrying one of those as like her little like staff like just <laughs> walking up and down the sidewalk <laughs> it's the funniest thing okay so that's where you went i went somewhere different i went neither one of us are, well that's just because that's what it actually is yes so we will fill in a little bit while i take some time with our hopefully not too ginormous child and <laughs> And you guys can get to know some of our wonderful staff here at the Shelly Agency who, I promise, are not like us. Next time. No, we're better. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Any more off-track conversation before we sign off here? No, I think that was a good (laughs) one. Alright guys, well as always, thanks for sticking sticking it out with us and hanging out till the end if you did. And we appreciate you guys listening and I believe Meg said she's going to post a video of all of us here in the office giving our shoe fly pies and cakes a try. So check that out and let us know what your favorite is, whether you like cake or pie or wet or dry. <laughs> All right, take care guys. Thanks for listening.
If you liked what you heard in this episode, be sure to follow Pennsylvania Life, Legends, and Lore on your preferred podcast platform to stay up to date on new content. Pennsylvania Life, Legends, and Lore is produced by Harv Productions, LLC.